After Rachel had given birth to Joseph, and Jacob had found himself with a dozen or so children, he came to believe that it was high time he had his freedom. The 14 years in which Jacob was roped into serving Laban had presumably passed, and now Jacob wished to leave Haran and return to the promised land. We see him in the middle of Genesis 30 as he confronts Laban, telling him, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. But Laban, who we've come to understand is a bit of a manipulator himself, pleads with Jacob to stay even longer and tells him, if I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will pay them. Evidently, Jacob did indeed go above and beyond during his service, and it was to the point that Laban knew that if Jacob was to leave, he would not be as prosperous. He also admits that he had learned through divination that the Lord had blessed Jacob, and by divination, it is believed that Laban was practicing the occult. It's interesting then that he acknowledges Jacob's God at all, for though he comprehends the power of God in that he has most certainly blessed Jacob, he still chooses to practice the magic of divinations. In any case, Laban does not want Jacob to leave, not because he values him as a family member, but because he does not want to lose him as a servant. As incentive, he declares that he will pay any wages that Jacob asks of. The two appear to argue back and forth, with Jacob declaring that he has served Laban for 14 years and has done everything the man has asked of him. Not only this, but he has made Laban prosperous and that he now has more than before he had arrived. So with this, Jacob essentially asks Laban when enough will be enough for he wants to live his own life now, along with his wives and his children. But Laban is not willing to let Jacob go so easily, and inquires as to what he could possibly give Jacob in order to make him stay. And Jacob replies, don't give me anything, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today, and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify for me in the future, whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark-coloured, will be considered stolen. Here we understand that Jacob offered to take the speckled and spotted offspring of the sheep and the goats, those which were marked with white spots or other blemishes, as payment for his services in continuing to watch over Laban's flock. This would leave Laban with the sheep and the goats that were of a solid colour, and because these were more common than the speckled variations, Laban would certainly have had more. This deal benefited Laban, and he knew it. Sure, he'd be losing the speckled sheeps and goats, but he'd be maintaining the majority of the herd, 
and he'd be keeping Jacob as a tender to the flock. Interestingly, Jacob even provides some warranty for the deal, stating that if there are any animals in his possession that are not speckled or spotted, these could be considered as stolen. Laban is quick to agree to these terms. After all, it seemingly benefited him in every way. That same day, he went about removing all the cattle that were streaked or spotted from the main flock, so that they did not mate with each other and create any more animals for Jacob. After having taken all the animals that had white on them, as well as the dark coloured animals, Laban placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three day journey between himself and Jacob, so as to prevent the flocks from ever intermingling again. Jacob meanwhile was left to tend over Laban's flock, the main flock, those of which were a solid colour. But as you might imagine, there was a method to Jacob's madness. No, he had not allowed Laban to take the main flock, which was more numerous in number than his own, without having a plan. The Bible tells us, Jacob, however, took fresh cut branches from poplar, almond and plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs, so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and they came to drink, they mated in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. It is unclear why this arbitrary method of placing the fresh cut branches in the trough increased the rate of which the solid coloured animals produced spotted and speckled ones, though it has been theorised that Jacob knew of some sort of advanced selective breeding process that caused all of Laban's flock to produce speckled and spotted offspring. Another perhaps more simple explanation would be that Jacob had finally placed his trust in God, and that his God realised this and chose to reward him by making all of the offspring of Laban's cattle speckled and spotted. It might also be said that because God had already promised Abraham that his sons would inherit the covenant, Jacob, being one of his descendants, entitled him to the blessings of God, regardless of whether he deserved it or not. Though given what Jacob had endured in his 14 years under Laban's household, it could be argued that Jacob had earned a break, especially considering that he did fulfil his obligations. The Bible continues of Jacob's unique breeding process that Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus, he made separate flocks for himself, and did not place them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs, in front of the animals, so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban, and the strong ones to Jacob. So interestingly, we see that producing more animals was not Jacob's only goal, but also to produce stronger animals. 
you'll notice he only placed these branches in the troughs when the stronger females came to drink. But if the weaker animals came to drink, he would remove them, thus ensuring that only the strongest benefited from this bizarre breeding process. With this, the stronger flock would become the ones that were speckled and spotted, those which belonged to him, and the weaker ones would become solid coloured, those which belonged to Laban. Another suggestion that's been made to explain Jacob's use of branches to breed stronger cattle is that Jacob knew sheep and goats better than anyone, perhaps a divine gift from his God. With this knowledge, he knew that there was some property of the branches that caused the animals to be more sexually charged and enticed them to mate more often. We understand that he did have a decent knowledge of cattle, given that we do see him strategically place the branches to only benefit the strongest of the flock. His attempts to create what might be dubbed as super cattle is not done on a whim, nor is it just a happy accident, but instead appears to be a deliberate technique that Jacob employs to produce the best animals he can. However, it can simply be chalked up to being God's will, and that despite Jacob's knowledge, God had blessed Jacob and made his intentions come true. Interestingly, Jacob credits God with obtaining Laban's cattle in the next chapter, and so it might be said that whilst Jacob tried his best, he wasn't so arrogant to believe that he'd been successful in this endeavour all by himself. We also see some growth in Jacob based on this incident, for previously, he would have tried to con and scheme his way to obtain Laban's flock, much as he had schemed to obtain the birthright and the blessing. But now, it would appear that he has come to recognise his God as all-powerful, and so no longer relies on his own wits to achieve what he wants, but instead trusts in his God. In this, you might say that Jacob's revenge against Laban is facilitated, and though vengeance is not exactly the main theme of this story, it does show believers that if one trusts in God long enough, even through the hardships that Jacob had endured, the scales will be balanced, and God will reward and punish accordingly. The Bible concludes that Jacob's mating process was a complete success, and that through this method, he achieves both wealth and status. We are told, in this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. But all this did not go unnoticed by Laban's sons, who began to believe that their father had been victim of one of Jacob's deceptions. They proclaimed, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Evidently, Laban's sons fall victim to jealousy and they cannot fathom how Jacob has managed to attain all that he has. In order to make sense of it, his sons fixate on the fact that the speckled and spotted offspring had come from Laban's flock and that in this, Jacob had profited from something that didn't belong to him. This attitude spills over onto Laban, 
who now treats Jacob differently, for it's likely that he too could not believe that Jacob now had enough wealth to rival his own. Envy eats away at Laban and his sons, and it causes a rift between them and Jacob. But God intervenes at this exact moment, perhaps sensing that because of their jealousy, things were about to turn ugly. And so he tells Jacob to go back to the land of his father and to his relatives, and that there he would be with him. Now that he did not second guess the word of God, Jacob is quick to comply with God's words, and so sends word to his wives. However, he does not immediately share with them his plans to escape, but instead seems to rant at them and shares his frustrations with them in regards to their father. In a fairly long monologue, Jacob tells them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In this part of his monologue, we see that Jacob has fully surrendered himself to his God and that he recognizes the power of his God in both protecting him and repelling Laban's efforts to take advantage of him. Jacob tells his wives that it didn't matter what deal he made with Laban, for he was always going to come out with the upper hand, because God willed it. His final statement here that God has taken away their father's livestock and given them to him is a declaration of victory and serves to remind his wives that despite all that he had suffered under their father's authority, the tables have now turned. He then explains to them how these things came to be, saying, In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. As we can see, Jacob reveals that he had a vision of these very events and that he knew to pick the streaked, speckled and spotted animals as his payment because he foresaw that these would be the ones that God would multiply for him. In essence, you might say that God was nudging him in the right direction or perhaps outrightly telling him how best to outmaneuver Laban. In this, Jacob did not only rely on his advanced knowledge of husbandry or agriculture, but also relied on the vision supplied to him by the angel and God. Once more, 
he reveals that God had told him to return to his native land and by telling his wives, he shares with them his intentions and essentially invites them to choose between him and their father. But the decision isn't as hard as you might think. For Rachel and Leah also reveal their dissatisfaction for their father, noting that he had not only sold them as servants in the first place and had now come to regard them as foreigners, but he had also spent all the money he had earned off of them. With this, the two sisters agree that they would rather follow Jacob back to his native country than spend another minute with their father. They also keep in mind that now Jacob is wealthy, both they and their children are probably better off travelling with him anyway. They state, Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children, so do whatever your God has told you. Here Rachel and Leah do what they must for the benefit of their children. They know that God has taken Laban's wealth and essentially awarded it to Jacob, and so the choice to follow Jacob became even easier. So Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and they drove all the livestock ahead of them, along with all the goods he had accumulated on their way back to Canaan. All this had taken place without the knowledge of Laban and it seems that it was when he had gone to shear his sheep that Jacob and his wives had snuck away. Interestingly, we also see that Rachel stole her father's household gods, these being the idols of the gods that Laban was worshipping, though the reason for this is not immediately clear. Some believe that Rachel was secretly worshipping these idols herself and did not wish to be apart from them when leaving her home. Others believe that she had taken them away as a last kindness for her father, in that she hoped to steer him away from the false gods in the hopes that he would find Jacob's god. But the idols may have also had a more practical use, in that the idols may have been a representation of deeds to the property. So in taking these items, Rachel was actually taking the inheritance that would technically have been both hers and Leah's anyway, after Laban passed away. It might also simply be said that Rachel took these idols from her father to spite him for what he had done to Jacob and for having sold her and her sister in the first place. With this idea, Jacob is not the only character who achieves revenge upon Laban. In any case, Jacob and his family are able to cross the Euphrates River and head for the hill country of Gilead, all without the realisation of Laban. We've certainly seen some growth in Jacob, from the boy who lazed amongst the tents and schemed against his brother, Jacob has indeed come a long way. Despite his dubious start in the Bible, he does come to reconcile with God as we have seen here in this chapter, and instead of bargaining with God for his protection, or trying to work a deal with God for food and clothing as he is seen to previously do, he now obeys God without much question. It might be said that after having endured his suffering under the household of Laban and having paid for his earlier transgressions, Jacob was moulded into a much more God-fearing man. In the end though, 
it's clear that Jacob does get the upper hand over Laban, and his success speaks for itself, that which is a testament of his grueling hard work and his continued surrender into the will of his God.